from KQED. Do you remember the first time someone asked you when you were going to have kids? I think the first time I was asked that was probably when I was like five or six. What? Yeah, I mean, like when you're a kid, aren't you asked that as a kid? Before we even know who we are and what we want out of life, women are expected to mother, to ultimately be mothers. And for women of color, there's all these added pressures, like the financial. How are we going to do this? And who's going to pay for everything? The cultural. The pressure as a Latina from my extended family. And historical trauma. You couldn't be a mother if you were a slave. In this episode of Truth Be Told, we're taking on a decision everybody's got an opinion about. As a woman of color, should I become a mother? These gorgeous black babies. I don't have children, but I was a child. Our revenge will be the laughter of our children. I'm Tanya Mosley. Welcome to Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Truth Be be Told. I need your help. Our question this week comes from a woman we're calling, Should I Be a Mother? She feels like everyone around her is pushing her to have children. I remember this feeling. People were asking me when I was going to have kids on my wedding day. Because of this pressure, Should I Be a Mother is afraid folks will judge her about her decisions. So she's asked us not to use her voice. You can't blame her, really. While producing this episode, almost every woman we talked with was a little skittish about delving into this topic. A woman's body and her choices on what to do with it can get very political. And y'all know how Twitter trolls are. So we're having our producer, Christina Kim, read the letter. Dear Truth Be Told, I'm a 28-year-old Afro-Latina that lives in New York. I recently got out of a long-term relationship, and that sparked this big question in me about whether or not I want to have kids. At this point in my life, I just don't think I want to have kids because I really view motherhood as this kind of burden that will end my ability to be single and focus on my career and life goals. However, I don't even want to talk about the possibility of not wanting kids with my family, extended or otherwise, because of the stigma associated with that view. I have always felt this pressure to have them and this sense that I won't be fully accomplished to my family until I have children and that I can pass my culture on to make sure that it lives on. I love my culture because of everything it has taught me and love the person it has made me today. But is it selfish to not share that and not have a child? Should I freeze my eggs in case I get FOMO? And yeah, don't even get me started about dating and bringing this up. I know for many of the men I date, there's this real interest in having children, and my not wanting or maybe not wanting children totally makes me less attractive and kills the date and our future. Truth be told, I need your help. What should I do? I'm a mom with two children. So, for this week's dilemma, I thought it would be nice to sit down with two women who don't have kids. This is Tanya. This is Audrey. Hi, Audrey. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you for coming here. Of course, yes. 33-year-old Audrey Gallo never wanted to have a child until she met her partner. They're now thinking about using IVF to conceive. Her love and my love into this person, this human that we're creating. And 31-year-old Tanya Menendez, she's single and happily childless. I feel purpose-driven and uh, fulfilled in other ways. Oh, and yeah, there's this funny coincidence about our names. So my daughter's name is Audrey. I love that. 
And of course, my name's Tanya, but it's with an O. I love the name Audrey. Well, I mean, apparently. <laughs> Audrey, the one who's trying IVF, takes on our question first. I think that thinking about having kids, it means just thinking about your entire life, which is really overwhelming. So I think first, just acknowledging that there isn't a way to calculate or to understand it. It's more of, at least for me, it was more of understanding just like, what are the things that that I care about like right now? And the opinion of not wanting to have kids was really about what I valued back then, which was like my priority, which was my ambition, Mm -hmm. more from a career standpoint. And so that was the only thing I could see at that time was that I had these career goals and I wanted to reach them. And it was so core to who I was that At that point, kids felt like they would get in the way of my ambition. And that was a storyline I think I saw everywhere. And which is interesting because externally I saw that. But in my home, my mother raised three kids while running her own business and taking care of, you know, a big family, extended family. So that there were these kind of two different storylines, but I bought into the like, well, if you have kids, then you can't accomplish everything you want to accomplish, which I just had to grow up and have life experience to realize, wow, that isn't the case. I can actually be ambitious and think about a life that includes having kids in it. I was a lot like Audrey in my 20s. My career was my baby. And when I wasn't working, I was thinking about work. And kids, they were these far-off abstract concepts. The only time I really thought about them was when I heard a baby crying on a plane or a child having a temper tantrum in Target. Like Audrey, things changed once I was in a committed relationship and became more established in my career. But there's this common thing that happens in many families of color, no matter what stage in life you're in. As Tanya, who right now doesn't want to have kids, sees in her extended family, the push to procreate can be intense. I think the cultural pressure is real. and um, But I think that if the goal is to pass down culture, there are a lot of different ways to pass down culture besides having children. You don't have to pass down culture by having a child. And honestly, sometimes you have children and they don't even pass down the culture. <laughs> so that's also not a guarantee. You put all your hopes and dreams in them and then they turn around. And, yeah. <laughs> so I think that um, I think it's important to think about who you're making these decisions for and who you're living your life for. Tanya and Audrey are both first-generation Americans. Audrey's parents migrated from Guatemala. Tanya's parents are from Nicaragua and El Salvador. And she sees how her family reacts to folks with babies. I think that there's something really exciting when you're at a family party and someone's crowding around you and because you have the baby and, you know, you're passing on a legacy and you're passing on genes. I think that that's really exciting and special. Um, And I think that a lot of parents, especially sometimes want a grandchild and they want to be able to see their genes being passed on and kind of furthering (laughs) humanity and contributing in that way. So I think that a lot of the times women, especially They get more attention and celebration when they have either a big milestone when it comes to a relationship or a big milestone when it comes to a child. I've thought a lot about why this happens. And I think that attention and excitement we get from our families 
is this hope that the next generation can be the path forward to liberation. That no matter how bad things are right now, the next generation can somehow get it right. But sometimes liberation happens when a woman makes the choice not to be a mother. I'm Jennifer DeVere Brody. I'm a scholar and author. I have chosen not to have children, and I have no regrets about that, but I obviously think it's really important to have an expansive view of what it means to have a role in children's lives. We'll get to Jennifer DeVere Brody's ideas on other ways to parent, but first we want to talk to her about the research she's done on the impacts of oppression on motherhood. To understand where we are with this idea of mothers and liberation, DeVere Brody says it's important to look back at the turbulent and devastating choices many women of color had to make. The author Angelina Weld Grimke, who was writing in the 1920s, wrote a beautiful story called The Closing Door. And the story tells of a woman who had recently given birth and decides to actually kill her child when she learns that her own brother had been lynched in the South. And it's a story then that really explicitly talks about not wanting to bring black children into the world to be, and this is a quote from the story, fodder for white supremacists. This has been a kind of through line in looking at African-American culture and motherhood as one in which you have control over the life of another and you look to the world where you don't have freedom, where that child both is and isn't yours. And I think we could carry that all the way up to Black Lives Matter uh, and what's happening now with police brutality. What happens when you know that the destiny or you believe of a black child is one for death? This example resonates with me. As a mother raising two black children, I know this fear. It's the burden mothers of color carry. We can't control how the world views our children, how they will be treated in this society. But having a choice and whether to be a mother and then ultimately choosing to be one, man, you really have to have a lot of optimism. There's a better future on the horizon. Freedom of choice for me is the most important thing. I I think that's like a source of power for me. Audrey has that optimism. And she's also keenly aware that choosing to be a mother as a queer Guatemalan woman is a privilege. She's reimagining what motherhood could look like. And she encourages our question asker, should I be a mother, to do the same. You're constantly being told you know, how to act or what's expected of you. And um, now is a time when all of that is being questioned. And so it even it allows me to even have a greater appreciation for building this kind of future for myself and one where I can model that for other people as well. It's important for us to start talking about these difficult topics, which brings us to the one question you should never ask a woman when we return. Okay, remember at the beginning of the show when we joked about the first time someone asked you about being a mother? I remember one time, actually, I think it was like the fourth grade, I told my teacher, I don't want to have kids because I think they're going to be too much of a headache. And the teacher complained to my mother and said, I'm concerned that Tanya, you know, 
Tani, is, that's crazy. Is like not interested in, you know, she said that she didn't want to have children um, because they were going to be too much of a headache. And so um, my mother talked to me about it. So I'm like, <laughs> let's stop doing this to our girls. Even for adults, that question, when are you planning to have children, is not the way to bring up having kids. I mean, I think that question is nobody's business. Like, I don't think it should even be asked. Um, it's it's way it's it's weighed right. Like, it it's a heavy question because it puts this burden of like, well, you should want to have kids, and it's not a matter of if, but when. Yeah. And you also, I think, you know, being at an age where where people around me are having kids or maybe trying to have kids, I also think that it it also becomes very. It's presumptuous. It's very presumptuous and, and it's triggering. I think that's the word is that it's triggering because you don't know if if that person or that couple is actually trying and has had some, you know, issues around it. You don't know what, you know, they're going through in yeah. terms of their journey. And so it, it is very personal. You know what I love the most about this discussion we're having? It can sometimes be a contentious issue or a hot button issue or a very an issue that is filled with emotion. It's definitely, I know for me personally, it's, and with my partner, it's definitely an emotional, you know, conversation. I mean, all of, all of it is emotional, whether or not, you know, when you get to the point of deciding that you do want to have a child and then the process of trying is an emotional journey, right? There's ups and downs and it's out of your control. So you feel maybe sometimes impatience or desperation or anxiety around like even like, what do I share with people? Like, how do I talk about this? Or how do I say something that then later I'll have to, you know, like, yeah, take back or, you know, something changed. And, um, you know, we don't have discussions about that enough. You know, it's scary. Tanya, you had a miscarriage. I've had a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And it's just something that happens. And um, we just don't have an open discussion about it. But how common it is. How common. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, one of the reasons why I mentioned it today was because I think that it needs to be talked about more. Because, um, you know, it's something that is something that is so private yet so common, and I don't think it really serves us to talk about it less. I think that if we were to talk about it more, we could support each other in different ways. I think that we could, you know, not feel as much guilt or shame around that. That's the thing that I'm getting from both of you all, is that you're putting a lot of thought into this, a lot of thought into financially what it will mean for you, what it will mean for you, for your social life, um, for your health. These are things that historically maybe our mothers or grandmothers or great-grandmothers perhaps didn't have the luxury of Mm. thinking about. For both of you, your parents are immigrants who came here for a better life and with openness for the possibilities for you too, whatever that might be. So in many ways, this discussion around choice and around motherhood is exactly what they kind of want it for you. I think that that's the new American dream is um, the ability to have choice and the ability to um, do things because you can, not because you have to. And um, I think that that's exactly what my parents wanted. They didn't want me to have to go down a certain path 
and um, they wanted me to have more opportunity and opportunity means more choice. For me, I think, you know, my parents are, I, I like to say that they're, you know, rebels and adventurers. I mean, that's, you have, you, that had to be, even though they weren't thinking it, you had to be in that mindset in order to leave everything that they knew and even leave their immediate families to come to something that was so unknown to them. And so in many ways, you know, raising us was like the full unknown, right? It was like, what is going to happen with these kids who are growing up in a completely different country and culture and surrounded by things that were new and different to them. And so I completely agree that, you know, having choice and being able to give give that sort of level of exploration and adventure to their kids is is exciting. I think every decision has a trade-off. And it could be a lot. I think that every decision has a loss, but you can also think of it as a gain. In the future, if I don't have children, I think that I'll gain a lot more freedom and have the ability to have a lot more time to create more projects, to make more ideas come to life. That really excites me, actually, to have so much time to be able to think and write and read and do whatever I want. And I've read some books um, from women that have made that decision, like Shonda Rhimes, um, you know, for her, her shows were her babies. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's really exciting to me. But, you know, you do lose that ability to have probably the biggest project that you could have in your life, which is like creating another life mm-hmm. and being able to contribute in that way. Um, so you do I do consider that I would potentially lose that specific type of experience of contributing to the future. Um, but I think I would gain this other, you know, I would gain a different type of experience. And so, um, you know, that calculus is definitely something that I think about pretty deeply, um, especially because I have so many ideas that I want to see come to life. And yeah. But my perspective on this is that what you're losing is not reality. It's not reality because it's never happened. So you can only guess what that would be if you had made that other choice, but it's not real. I might be going off and deep on that, but like the reality. (laughs) That's true. There's no certainty in anything. There's no certainty in anything. Like you can't, you make a decision and you're happy with your decision. Mm -hmm. You can't think of what if, because you don't even know what that is. There's no way to know what the outcomes would be if you make another choice. And I I also think that it's not one or the other, right? It's not so black and white. And I think that if you're in a position to, or, or you've made a decision to not have children, it doesn't mean that you're never going to be able to give unconditional love or to be part of someone's life right. in that way. Yep. Um, you can show up in that motherly way and as a mother in so many different ways that you know, yeah, you you made a choice that that does have repercussions and effects in your life, but it doesn't mean that you can't carve out or find an opportunity to still gain fulfillment in the way that you want. I'm excited for both of your futures, Audrey Gallo and Tanya Menendez. Both of you all, the past that you'll take, the future that you hold, and what you both said is it really comes down to having the choice to decide what you want 
for your future, whether that's being a mother in the traditional sense, passing the culture down in a traditional sense, or doing it in other ways that are just as resonant. I think that there's a larger way of looking at what does it mean to be an ethical, caring human being in the world, and it's not necessarily part of a family unit. Earlier in the show, professor and author Jennifer DeVere Brody mentioned that you don't have to have your own kids to show up for children. I write a lot about the author James Baldwin, who, you know, addressed a number of his works towards his nephew, who uh, wrote a children's book, and someone who cared a lot uh, about the next generation. And he would often adopt a kind of uncle-like, avuncular version. But of course, he didn't have children of his own. The writer Zora Neale Hurston has a wonderful phrase And she says, everyone has to go to God and find out about living for themselves. And she says that in her book, Their Eyes Are Watching God, which actually is an interesting story. This is about a woman who is married three times and never gives birth in the the confines of the book. And that for me is kind of a motto if I think about talking to Uh, students or other people. Um, Obviously, I'm no authority at all when it comes to that weighty decision, which sometimes isn't always yours to make alone. Um, But I certainly know for myself that I never regretted uh, not being a mother in any conventional sense, and that um, I think we need to think more about the ways in which to care and love for one another is something that's done outside of the confines of any of those terms that for me were always already exploded by what slavery did in the United States. Not having one's own children doesn't deprive you from relationships with children, nor I think should it be seen as somehow negative. You know, there's a need for all of us to care about in the most radical way, uh, loving the next generation. Some of the most important people in my life, my Aunt Libby, who taught me how to pour tea and sit like a lady, or my journalism mentor, Louise Reed Ritchie, who would spend hours with me on the phone, going over the right classes to prepare me for college. They did exactly what Jennifer is talking about. They cared for me, built me up. They mothered me. Okay, so maybe you're at the point where you're ready to be a mother or father. One woman and her partner are realizing that in order to take that step, they must first reckon with their past. A person becomes a mother the moment that they like conceive of the child in their mind and in their like spirit. My name is Melissa. I'm 28 years old. I'm a queer, brown, Chinese-American Hi, my name is Felipe. Uh, I grew up in uh, Washington Heights in New York City. I'm 30. Um, I identify as a Latinx. This is my wife, Melissa. Um, Hi, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We've been talking more about becoming parents. um, And how are you feeling about it recently? Yeah, I mean, it's been something that's been on my mind for... um, about yeah I would say about five years now that I've felt this like biological pull to have children um 
And it was sparked um, when I had the abortion. I think what the abortion sort of sparked in me was the realization that I wasn't ready to be a parent. And um, from that, there was an inquiry into why. Like, why wasn't I ready to be a parent? And I think for a while in that journey, I had to like dig through um, like cultural and societal reasons why I wasn't ready to be a parent. Climate change and just, um, you know, capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy, like all of these systems of oppression that I wasn't sure that I wanted to bring a child into or if it was even ethical to bring a child into. And at some point, like in working through those questions, um, I got to the like the deep core core reason why I wasn't ready to be a parent at that time, which was um, I was deeply, deeply hurt by my own parents. And it took me, I mean, it's, it's still taking me a, a while to heal. It's like a lifelong journey of, of healing from those wounds. But like that journey of healing and transformation got really, really serious the moment we decided, yes, like we're going to do this. We're going to leap into this like great unknown together. <laughs> yeah. I've always wanted to have kids. I've been more ready ever since my, my dad passed away because that, that gave me another dimension of what parenthood means to me. I think it's a, a intergenerational conversation, and that's something that like um, I I want to be a part of, and we've discussed in different ways. Mostly, like how do we heal intergenerationally? Why do you think fatherhood is a means of healing the intergenerational trauma that um, has been passed on to you? Uh. I couldn't have a very active dialogue with my father. It wasn't until I'd say I became an adult that I started asking myself like, hey, uh, you know, I, I just want to have a really deep uh, relationship with you. And I understand all of the, the stuff that happened over the years. But now that we're adults, let, like, let's come together and let's, let's heal together. You know, that stereotypical. A Latino men, you know, they could be macho, they don't have to be present. Like, you know, being present in the child's life growing up and just having like that rich, deep relationship that I began with my father when I entered adulthood. Like have that from the beginning. And yeah, it's it's like a beautiful thing to to realize. And um, I feel very lucky to be in a place where I I can even realize it and recognize it and, and work through it. Because I know that cycling of trauma is because neither of my parents ever had that opportunity to just like sit and reflect on what had happened to them or what had happened to their family and like how they were passing those messages or those behaviors on to their children. It's a it's a way to to speak across time. the The spiritual part is what transcends that what's happening day to day. It's a pull to like embark in a, in a good life, to like kind of create this environment. Because as parents, we would be bringing life into that joy. We deserve that, you know? Like our histories have been so, there's been so much pain in them. I do think we deserve that. Okay. Back to our question. I love my culture because of everything it has taught me 
and love the person it has made me today. But is it selfish to not share that and not have a child? The answer is no, it is not selfish. The ability to choose is the gift your ancestors have given you. Those women before you who sacrificed so that you could stand in the place you are in now, making a choice of whether to be or how to be a mother. And hey, this conversation isn't over. Join us on Twitter where we're getting real about the triumphs, trials, and tribulations of fertility. You can find us at Truth Be Told Show on Twitter. On our next episode of Truth Be Told, I'm sitting in the hot seat with a personal problem. What do you do when your relatives want a relationship, but you don't? Healing, part of it is seeing things clearly. When you try to see what your parents or anybody has done more clearly, then the real thing is that there are fewer things to forgive. That's on our next episode of Truth Be Told. This podcast was produced by Christina Kim and edited by Sandia Dirks. Our sound engineer is Enrico Benjamin. Thanks to KQED's head of podcasts, Julie Kane, KQED's managing editor for news, Vinnie Tong, executive editor of news, Ethan Lindsay, and chief content officer, Holly Kernan. Truth Be Told is funded in part by a grant from the California Wellness Foundation with a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. The foundation's vision is for every resident of California to enjoy good health and experience wellness. Truth Be Told is a production of KQED in San Francisco. I'm Tanya Mosley.